te nei te mauri ka whakapiki, te nei te mauri ka whakakake, ko te mauri ora ki a tatau katoa whano, whano, o, o ia mai te tō ki o haumie, hui e, taiki e. This week on The Hui, the most successful axeman in Aotearoa, Jason Wynyard, is fighting for his life. He talks exclusively with the Hui about his shock cancer diagnosis. Words can't express how disappointed I am in the system. And we look further into the failures within the health system with oncologist Dr. Maxine Ronald. Plus, we have the final edition of our New Zealand Music Month series, featuring a band that was created during lockdown. We're a group of people who have this genuine love of music influence yeah. that, you know, form this beauty of music, you know. Origin Roots Aotearoa brings the vibe with their waiata And welcome back to the Hui. A few months ago, one of our most successful sportsmen in Aotearoa had yet another world championship in his sights. But elite axeman Jason Wynyard is now facing a much more dangerous opponent, a rare and aggressive stage four cancer that's attacking his lymphatic system. The formerly fit and healthy athlete says the shocking news has been compounded by agonising weeks of delays to get the right diagnosis and treatment. Jason and his partner are sharing their story to help other whānau get the healthcare they need. They spoke exclusively to our reporter, Rurani Pereira. 2023 was shaping up to be another competitive year for champion woodchopper Jason Winyard. But it's now going to be one of his toughest, staring down stage four cancer and in the fight of his life. Why is that important to you to talk to us, Jason? Oh, it's really important that my story is told um, because it's. Uh... It's, it's a big one. The health, health system in New Zealand is very, very broken. Jason was misdiagnosed several times for an aggressive cancer where early treatment is crucial. Do you believe that those delays in diagnosing the tumour have made things worse for you? Oh, 100%. And if it had been picked up on its first um, time, we would have had a, a really good fighting chance. Stand to your timber. Three, two, one, go! Two months ago, this was 49-year-old champion woodchopper Jason Winyard, smoking his competition, beating competitors 20 years his junior. What are your goals for this year? Uh, I want to win the world championship in October. But just a month after coming second at this national competition... So Jason takes that out in 12.68 seconds. ..that goal has been derailed. Jason is now confined to a hospital bed fighting Burkitt lymphoma, a rare, fast-growing cancer of the lymphatic system. The way they've handled 
the whole procedure, you know, from the start. It's just so... Uh, it's like you can't be any more, more wrong about something, you know? Jason's partner of almost two years, Sharon Kennelly, has barely left his side and has been documenting his medical journey exclusively for the hui. They're going public for the first time about their frustration with a health system they say has failed Jason. His ordeal began in early April. Where was the pain? It was um, in, in his stomach, but he was also having back spasms, and so it would present itself on one side, and then within minutes it would be on another side. It's been my sort of main complaint from the start that it was restricting my breathing, you know, and there was tightness in the abdominal area. The GP Jason saw told him he'd just strained a muscle, but Jason knew it was more serious. Days later, still in pain, he went back, asking for a scan and a referral to a specialist. Once again, the GP was adamant that it was just a sprain. Not happy with that diagnosis, Jason contacted a friend who was a specialist and got a scan. We're grateful that we were able to get that scan because as soon as we had it, his specialist friend said, look, they've picked up that there's a mass. You need to go straight to Middlemore. Jason and Sharon were hopeful for a thorough investigation at Middlemore Hospital, but were told that the mass on the scan was just a hematoma, a bad bruise. And I said, can we have an MRI scan? It's important for us to know that this is exactly what it is. And he actually said that they cost a lot more money and that it's just a hematoma which will absorb into the body. And so Jason trusted that. But Sharon wasn't convinced. As soon as we saw the mass, I was asking about cancer straight away, only because of my experience when my mother had stomach cancer and a lot of her pain and so forth, it was really similar. And I just kept saying to every doctor that came in, are you sure it's not cancer? Did you feel sort of dismissed? Oh, absolutely. 100% I felt dismissed. I, I felt like I was an idiot for asking questions. Jason spent two weeks off work at home, gripped in crippling pain. During the night, I, I would be rubbing all these heat rubs on his back because it would be in one area, then another, and, you know, I was doing everything I, I could to, to support him through that. It was, it was, it was hard he was the one going through the pain. After almost four decades at the top of his game, competing in a highly physical sport, Jason is a tough athlete with a high tolerance for pain. But he was in agony. He was just in so much pain. He was curled up in pain. And I could see the swelling around his stomach, so there was more going on than just that. They were right. Just a month after first going to his GP, Jason was told he had stage four cancer. Sharon felt the shock diagnosis was delivered without privacy and compassion. There was no respect, no dignity, no confidentiality. And he just goes, oh, it's not a hematoma, it's a lymphoma. And I'm just like, is, is that cancer? And then he said, yes. The whole experience has shattered Jason's faith in medical experts. 
words can't express how disappointed I am in the system. This whole journey seems like a cost-cutting exercise for the hospitals. Jason's hospital notes show the mass was first diagnosed as a haematoma and the MRI scan was done a month after Jason first sought medical attention. In that time, the tumour more than doubled and caused Jason more health complications. By the time they did the MRI, it had grown to 18 centimetres. So in a matter of a couple of weeks, from seven to 18, and then he had tumor lysis through his body. It's affected every single organ in this man's body, and now we find out it's in his central nervous system. All this time it's just been growing inside of me, so it's pretty, pretty disappointing, eh? In that time frame, he, he is emaciated. He's lost so much weight. His organs are affected. He'd gone through torture. So he's starting a fight for his life on the back foot because of guessing back here, you know, when we first went into the hospital, we trusted them. Yeah, I don't know what's happened to the medical system. It just seems to be really broken. In Aotearoa, Burkitt lymphoma is so rare, there are only around six reported cases a year. But Jason is not alone on this uphill journey. Just before his transfer from Middlemore to Auckland City Hospital, Jason's close friend, Milk Honick, sent him off with a karakia. That's the first time in this whole experience that I saw tears streaming down Jason's face. There was a lack of empathy and uh, process within the Middlemore Hospital itself. Despite the huge pressures currently on the system, Jason says patients need to be listened to. He wants everyone else, other New Zealanders, coming through the health system to be treated uh, fairly and to get better service by the health system. This will be Jason's home for the foreseeable future for intensive chemotherapy treatments. It's day one of your first round of chemo. How are you feeling? Yeah, um... It's been a long time coming, so looking forward to getting this first round out of the way and um, getting on the road to recovery, so um, can't wait to have that happen. How does this compare to training for world titles? I guess it's a, it's a similar mindset. It'll put your head down and just uh, get on with it and, and be positive. Look at the outcome that you want and, and just go for it. Jason's drawing on the competitive spirit that's won him nine world titles to combat his cancer. Forever grateful for the outpouring of love and support he's received. Sharon's been my rock. She's uh, fought for me tooth and nail. The support just humbles me. And I feel I can confront anything with love and support of all these people. We're gonna beat this. You know, that's a, it's like Jason and I set up for another event that he's just gonna smash. And that's all we're focused on is coming out this other end and creating an amazing comeback story.
Now, Sharon has formally complained to Middlemore Hospital about Jason's treatment. A Te Whatawara spokesperson says it has apologised to the whānau for their experience leading up to Jason's diagnosis, and especially the way the diagnosis was communicated. Te Whatawara acknowledges there is significant room for improvement, particularly more training for junior doctors, on the appropriate ways to communicate life-changing news. It is committed to making changes so that no other patient has to go through the same experience. Tafatuwada added that Jason's case was clinically very complex and its team worked diligently to make a diagnosis. Coming up next, I'm joined in studio by Dr Maxine Ronald, a general and oncoplastic breast surgeon at Whangarei Hospital. Welcome back. Now, Jason Winyard's experience in the health system is sadly not uncommon for Māori, and Māori are more likely to be diagnosed later, and often their outcomes are not as positive as non-Māori. So to discuss why that is and what is being done about it, I'm joined by Dr Maxine Ronald. He uri no ngāpuhi me ngāti wai. Thank you so much for joining us. As Jason and Sharon and Fano have said, the system is broken. Why is the system so broken? Tuatahi he mihi aroha kia Jason me tōna whānau i tēnei wā taumaha. Ko te tūmanako he piki te ora ka patu ia i tēnei māuiwitanga. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to watch because it's health professionals who want to do the best for our, for our whānau and our community. But the, the, the story that we're hearing from Jason isn't anything that's, um, that's anything particularly isolated. In fact, the Cancer Control Agency did a, um, a series of hui in 2021 where they went around the motu. I think they held 13 hui and talked to 2,500 whānau. And the, the, um, the, the experience of Jace and, um, and his whānau is really reflected in those voices. Um, there's barriers to accessing care, and then once Māori are in the system, there's barriers to, to moving forward through the system at the same, at the same kind of um, rate as, as non-Māori do. Um, so even once we're in the system, we're experiencing barriers, barriers to care. But then there's also, there's also our experiences of care once we're within the system, um, those feelings that they discuss um, of not feeling empathy, not having dignity, many Māori experience um, uh, racism in, in their healthcare, and, and that can be intergenerational. So, um, you know, our whānau's experience can affect our own experience, and, and that leads to um, trust, you know, issues with trust within the system. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's a big problem. We've had a lot of response on social media from people who have seen the promotion and have said, as you said, this is not an isolated case. In fact, not only when people get access, but it's slower. And it takes longer. How do we fix that? Yeah, it's a complex system, and we, you know, it really requires a multi-pronged kind of kind of approach. Um, we've we've got some systems in place which need time to develop and to mature, like with Tiaka Fai Order, which is really about hearing that that Fano voice and putting that into um, in, into into action, basically, so that we're 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 basically um, responding to the needs of the Fano in the in the community and, and listening to them. And, and Tiaka Fai Order is new, and, and Jason 
Jason and Sharon have actually said that mm. you know they now believe a separate Māori health system is mm. required. Is mm. Tauka Fayota that system that they now believe is required so that people don't end up in the same situation mm. as Jason? I think it's the best opportunity that we've got that we've had for a long time. It's clear that the system we've had since Mairano has not worked for our people, so we need something new. And at the heart of Teaka Faiora is Tenoranga Teratanga and our ability to direct our own health services in a way that um, is um, is acceptable to Māori and that will be kind of critiqued by Māori as well. That that's really important that that feedback comes back and we respond to it. Mm. Would it be different if Jason, for example, was a well-known Pākehā world champion? Is it, is it because Māori who end up in the system, because they are Māori, end up getting the lack of access and treatment and time that is required? If Jason was someone who was well-known in other sports or a well-known sports champion or someone, would he, say, get different health care, do you think? I think um, what I can say is that we do know is that there is definitely institutional racism. Um, so there's racism, racism at a system level and there's racism on an interpersonal level as well, which affects people's kind of progress and access through the through the system. That's a common theme. And we know that racism kills. Um, the way that looks is that systems which we set up within our own um, kind of our own health system are actually um, essentially at their core structured um, to be racist because they are designed to prioritise non-Māori. Um, and a really good example of that is the bowel screening programme, mm. which was designed to start at age 60. But really when you look at, um, at when Māori get bowel cancer, they get it um, in, in their 50s. So by the, by the time they're 60, almost 50% of Māori who are going to get bowel cancer would have already got it. Yeah. So a bowel screening programme like that is not going to, is not going to benefit Māori and we're going to see greater inequities. So I'm really glad um, that the voices that were championing that um, age limit being lowered have been listened to. But that's just an, an example of structural um, and systemic racism. And Jason ended up in Middlemore Hospital, now at Auckland City Hospital, but ended up in Middlemore Hospital, big hospital, South Auckland and Auckland City. There's a concern, though, that for those Māori who end up in the system, say, in other places in Aotearoa, particularly in rural communities, that there's another different level of access for them as well. So that, that is another, another barrier, particularly if you require treatment in, say, a tertiary centre and, and need to move away from whānau. That places extra, uh, extra pressure on, on um, patients and, and their families. Um, so, so yet another example of, um, of that kind of the, the system working against our people. Um, so, so what we really want to see is, you know, is more services in the areas where they're required. Um, and that, that requires us to look at the whole way that we do things, so from the way that we treat train people where we train them so that we're getting people into the areas where our people are mm. um, and also making sure that we've got a culturally safe, culturally competent and anti-racist workforce so that we're taught that in medical schools. So let me pick up on the training part then. Are we doing that well enough at the moment? Are we doing that in a, in, in a, in a greater enough way to ensure that people don't end up in the same situation as Jason? I think we're doing it better than we used to and the Medical Council now require that, that doctors um, are, are culturally safe and culturally competent and there's a suite of um, kind of um, things that we can do in order to learn how to be culturally safe and culturally competent. Um, but it's not, 
um, those kind of things are not just um, learnt as a one-off, it's a lifelong kind of process and journey that we've got to be continually um, working on that kind of thing. Um, and I think also um, we need to learn what racism looks like in our workplace because it's one thing to, to understand it theoretically, it's a different thing to actually kind of see it um, playing out um, in, in your workplace and, and that perhaps when um, when a Māori whānau is not, is not able to turn up for their appointments, it's not because they don't want health care, it's because they can't get into to those clinics because they're working or they've got you know, whānau to look after. That, that's, you know, that's also how structural racism looks. Um, we've got a lot of response on social media, as I said, and the messages are still coming through now watching watching live. Jason and I wanted to tell their story so people don't end up in the same situation. So, me mihi kia rata, and sharing those stories are really mm. important. Mm. Maxine, thank you very much for your time. Kia ora. We appreciate you joining us on the programme today. Kia ita tonu mai rā e di, we hewaiata anō, hei tau pukiake. I te marama o ngā mahi waiata ki Aotearoa, we conclude our Music Month series next. To conclude our New Zealand Music Month series, we sat down with Ora, Origin Roots Aotearoa, a collection of creatives on the rise and celebrating Te Reo Māori. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for your time. Hey, let's start with Ora. Mm. Where did Ora come from? Well, we've actually come out of lockdown. It was the Fakaro was starting a band in the most crazy of times. <laughs> At that time, we had our lead singer, which was Luke Farmer. Yeah. He started off, and there was, there was a group of us that started, and then we had our Waiata Ukaipo come yeah. out. Mm. And pretty much from then, Te Reo Māori has been the, the forefront of our Waiata and yeah. has been our drive to writing. And from 2020 till now, Ara Te Kaupapa. Yeah, but how do you stay together? Because you're all different people, eh, John? Oh, beautiful. We're not a band, actually. We're a group of people who have this genuine love of music influence yeah. that, you know, form this beauty of music, you know, so it becomes genuine to us. So we've now really solidified who our crew is and uh, what it looks like for us. And it's a group of people just with this vision to move forward and go hard and do what it is that we do. How do you know you've nailed a waiata, though? There's a way to a feeling when yeah. you just mm. know. You know when you're playing something and you just get that feeling where you're like, something special here. How do you know when you get to the sign-off point where everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we're sending this out there? It, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like, as a musician, sometimes we, we're never happy with That's what right. it is that we're actually <laughs> trying to deliver, you know? We'll be looking at this 10 years down the track thinking, far. I should have wore that hat, he should have wore, you know, we're always <laughs> critiquing what it is that we do, but I think the benefit of it is when we release things, the amount of, of love and adoration that we have come through. Māori musicians always talk about wairua. How do you make sure you keep that in every song that you write and make and develop? I suppose wairua is something that we can't really pinpoint in terms of to, to lock it down as this is what it is. It's a feeling. Mm. And it's something that's not boxed in. It's something that when you feel it, and there's a look, especially when we play, there's a look that we look at each other, that spontaneous um, chemistry that we have with one another, we can tell, yeah, there it is. What about Ko Taiwa? Because Ko is a mean song. I mean, I don't know if you could do that song in English and get the same no, reaction no, or, or, or Waitua. Talk to me about that. The creation of the Waitua actually came out of the Waitua Tutira Maingaimi. So oh. if you actually listen to the structure of the song yeah. and the melody that we're singing, it follows ah. the actual tune. But what we've done, because the Motu actually been singing the song wrong, ah. and we actually went and asked our brother Tuhoi Huata, who gave us permission, to use the waiata. So a part of it was bringing back an anthem of 
New Zealand for the people to hear it, so when they hear it, they're singing it properly. And in the way it's a kotaro, I suppose, koi kukui kotaro, hey, it's something you and I are one, it's something that can never be broken. Hey, you hold on to it. That's us for the Hui this week. You can find all our stories on Facebook and YouTube and at newshub.co.nz. Kia mou, ki te tūranga o tapu-tapu ātea. Hau mi e, hui e, taiki e.
Nā te puna whakatonga rewa, te hui, i tautoko.